I love the opportunity I have being that it it still is fairly uncommon to be a, a female project level superintendent uh, to influence the industry. And so I try to spend my extracurricular time supporting efforts that really grow workforce health and provide visibility to what options exist in the industry. I think it's an amazing industry. And although that, you know, there are challenges that uh, every industry works through and we have some historic cultural biases and challenges that we're continuing to work through, there is some incredible values that we hold as an industry to make people successful. And so bringing visibility to the strengths of our industry and helping our industry to move past some of the historic challenges um, is where I've been putting my extracurricular focus. I'd love to find a way to continue to combine what I do day to day with that work. Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer, and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Hey, Construction Nation, welcome to the Lead with Trust podcast for construction leaders. And this is another part to the series we're doing on bringing women into construction more women into construction. There are some, but it's 1.5% of the workforce. And we have over a half a billion jobs that are sitting unfilled and more that we're going to have in a couple of years. So we're exploring with women who are already working in construction on how we can begin to bring even more women into construction. And today you are in for a delight with Kabri Learman Schmidt. She is an extraordinary young woman who I had the opportunity to work with on a couple projects at San Francisco International Airport several years ago. And today she is a superintendent for the Hensel Phelps Construction Company and a leading really large multi-million dollar projects. And so I asked her about her path and her insights, and she's just a delight. And there's a lot of really good, rich information and know-how here that if any of you really want to grow your workforce with more women, I think she has some great insights. So let's listen in. We are on another adventure here on bringing women into construction. And today, wow, wow, toot our horn. We have got Cabri here with us today from Hensel Phelps Construction. Cabri is a rock star in any sense and an anomaly since she's a woman rock star in construction as a superintendent on very, very large complex projects. So welcome. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's been a been a few years since we've had the opportunity to work together. It's it it's has great to been. be here. I know we only work on crazy projects that are really fast and, you know, decide to do more and more and more. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. But I know that uh, a female superintendent for a large builder is unusual in this day and age. Hopefully at one point it won't be, but it is now. So tell us a little bit about your journey into construction. Like, why the heck did you decide to get into construction? And then we'll dive into what was the journey to becoming uh, a superintendent was the path so we can help other women see that and other guys too, because um, they want to know as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like many, my journey into construction was not deliberate. I grew up not knowing anything about the industry. My family wasn't in the industry and it wasn't offered to me as really an option. I wasn't given information about what you could do in construction or what kind of skill sets that you could achieve. I was rather good at math in elementary and middle and high school. And I really liked the idea of big bridges. I was I grew up near New York City and got to see a number of those. And so the only path that really was given to me was look at engineering. Um, and so I went to college for engineering, um, civil engineering, bachelor's of science. And what I quickly realized was I wasn't quite as good at math as I had hoped. Um, The math that I took in AP classes in high school, I really liked the idea of math that made sense logistically, math you could envision. And once I got to a point of something beyond that, I, I realized that that wasn't wasn't what I wanted. I didn't want to sit and work on problems that were theoretical that I couldn't put my hands on. And I didn't know what that meant until obviously looking back much later, 17, 18 years ago. (laughs) Now, I happened to be working at a Starbucks, the busiest Starbucks in the United States at the time in Midtown Manhattan. And a huge partnership of a project was going on across the street. Time Warner Center at Columbus Circle was a really noted for the collaboration between multiple different contractors and design teams. And so every morning, the primary um, managers would come into my Starbucks and they would get coffee. And I asked them each for an internship and two of them didn't want to talk about it. And one of them was really interested in understanding what I wanted to do. And I said, well, I go to engineering school. And he said, let me see what I can do. And I ended up at the Pentagon renovation working for the owner's representative that summer which was amazing because I was actually overseeing their large general contractor working away around the wedges um, with the renovation. And I learned that it was construction that would really suit the desire that I had to solve problems face-to-face and to really put education into action. And so I walked up to the largest superintendent I could find there and said, can I have an internship next summer? And uh, we had a conversation and I've been with Hensel Phelps for two more internships and 16 years um, in 2023. That's so awesome. I agree with you completely. Math is boring to me if it isn't applied. And I, but my husband loves to just do the calculations. That's his happy place. Well, that's awesome. So tell us about how you went from the internship, what was the path to moving through the company 
to becoming the superintendent, which is, for those of you who don't know, that's a pretty big deal. It's a really big deal. I'm very lucky that Hensel Phelps has a career path that insists we experience both field and office management opportunities. And so typically you would start as a young field engineer where you're learning surveying, learning how to understand how a building gets built, how our trade partners are successful and really hands-on in the field. And when I was in Washington, D.C. for those first years, I got to perform surveying and layout and carpentry. And that was, that was so fun to look back on those years fondly. As you move from there, you take on the traditional project engineering roles and like assistant superintendent roles, really learning how to manage people um, and manage the contract requirements and the schedule. At that point, you usually have um, an option whether or not you want to be project manager or project superintendent. And um, I had so much support encouraging me to take that next step as a superintendent, um, that I had been in the opportunities at multiple airports at that point to demonstrate my ability to, to run work. And um, I was supported as one of the, the first female superintendents in our company. And so it's something I'm very proud of. Well, so tell the women out there that may not really know the difference between a project manager path and a superintendent path. Sure. So um, project managers, project superintendents, we usually have one of each on a project. The, the project that one of us would run might be anywhere from 15 million to 200 million. The project I'm a superintendent on right now is 105 million. Um, my role is to make sure that our trade partners, our subcontractors, understand the work that they need to perform on the site. I'm helping them create a plan for access, for mobilization, for meeting the requirements and developing the schedule of that plan, making sure that the work goes in place per their contract and the owner's expectations, so quality, as well as all of the safety planning for the project. And so I make sure everything on site is going successfully into the expectations of the owner and to meet the success of those trade partners. Whereas a project manager would be responsible for making sure that those trade partners have the right scope in their contracts that we understand who's going to perform what, the money that is owed to them, making sure that they understand the requirements of the prime agreement and getting all of their materials ready to come to site. And so management of the contracts versus management of the on-site logistics and the schedule to completion. Yeah, so it's, it is different and really critical. And I know that uh, Hans Phelps does such a great job with the trade partners. You know, compared to some of the projects I've worked on uh, where that just isn't the case. So I know you have a big job and uh, it's kudos to you for doing that. One of the things that stuck in my mind you were talking about is Hensel Phelps training curriculum. Can you can you talk a little bit about that for two reasons? One is to help women who might be interested in construction understand more what that might look like but also some of the contractors who may need to bring women into their businesses, what would that look like? Sure. So the reason that Hensel Phelps values our individuals having a typical, there's always, there's always a typical, um, a typical career path that allows us to experience office and field management is because it allows us to one, be a better team that supports one another to understand the administrative processes that it takes to be successful out with actually building or 
to be a great manager of a trade partner and a staff, you need to understand what it takes to build. And so understanding both sides of the business um, is pretty special. It makes us stronger builders is what we feel um, the value is. But it's also rather unique in the industry, uh, depending on the region. I know you're in California. In California, it is fairly common for superintendents to have either a craft or a school path. You can be a superintendent coming from either. It's awesome. You can learn as you go. In other regions like Seattle, it is very atypical for a superintendent to be anything other than coming up from the craft. And so that means that there's usually a pretty big separation in terms of office and administrative requirements understanding and field skills understanding. And so the value of having an opportunity where you get to learn some of both, we think belongs, allows you to belong to a team that can help be supportive of everybody's administrative and construction goals, including our trade partners. I also think you probably understand the problems more wholly. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Um, what it takes to solve them. Yeah. And, and when you need it to be solved. So many times I see peon projects where you really don't have anybody on the project and kind of wrap their mind around the whole project and what it takes to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And then, it, then they really struggle. So you're, you're on this path. Where do you want to be in five years? Oof, that is, that is a tough one. Ten years ago, let's see, I was probably working at SFO. I said, I really love the opportunity I'm in being a manager on the, on the design side. We had a project early. We were developing the requirements with the owner. I got to work with all of the design team and design build trade partners. I loved it, but I also love the field. And so my goal 10 years ago was to be a superintendent that also participated in the design and pre-construction of a project. And for two years on the project I'm on now, I was in pre-con. I was the design manager uh, for this integrated design build delivery. And now I am the project superintendent. So I've achieved that goal. So I need to make a new one, Sue. Um, but it's pretty well, recent. Well, let's make it. What interests you now? You know, I I love the opportunity I have, being that it, it still is fairly uncommon to be a, a female project level superintendent uh, to influence the industry. And so I try to spend my extracurricular time supporting efforts that really grow workforce health and provide visibility to what options exist in the industry. I think it's an amazing industry. And although that, you know, there are challenges that uh, every industry works through and we have some historic cultural biases and challenges that we're continuing to work through, there is some incredible values that we hold as an industry to make people successful. And so bringing visibility to the strengths of our industry and helping our industry to move past some of the historic challenges um, is where I've been putting my extracurricular focus. I'd love to find a way to continue to combine what I do day to day with that work. I think that's really, really needed. And you're, you, you could be such a huge help to so many people with just the lessons you've learned. Hope you're enjoying this show. Every time you and your team step foot onto a construction project, you bring your business culture with you. 
For any construction project to succeed, there must be a high trust culture. It doesn't matter if you're in planning, design, construction, or startup phases. The more trust you bring and build, the better your results. I've created a free resource for you, the Trusted Leader Profile, so you can know exactly the level of trust you bring to your business and projects and what you can do to boost trust. You can grab that at sudico.com slash profile. That's S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile, P-R-O-F-I-L-E. And I hope that you'll remember that always high trust equals high performance, and it really depends on you. Now back to the show. So that kind of brings me to my next question, which is, what has your experience been being a woman working in construction? I mean, a lot of people think it's the stereotypical hooting and hollering and things like that. (laughs) Um, I've been very lucky. I really have not had a negative experience like the, the stereotypical challenges. And I don't know if it's that I've been blind to it some of my career or that I just put my head down and and tried to work harder to overcome any potential challenges. Now, when we think of stereotypes, I think it's completely true that the amount of effort I put in, the amount of hours I work, the amount of expertise that I, I have a goal to demonstrate completely comes from the knowledge that if I'm not at 110%, if I'm not serving everybody with what they need, that I can be more easily cast aside in terms of my my input and value. Um, I think some of those stereotypes still exist. I've had a company that has supported me every step of the way. And so that's been essential. I think that having such a a support structure really means that no one ever challenged the fact that I was working with the general contractor on the project as part of that team. I have a lot of, I guess, support, yes, but also having the opportunity to be in a position where I have all of those benefits really has made my experience positive. Supportive company, my willingness and ability to deliver on my word and my work and people being willing to kind of switch from the, does she know what she's talking about? The wow, she really knows what she's talking about. Because in construction, I will say, one of the the superpowers that I, I like to tell young women exists is that as soon as you meet those industry values of like earned respect through hard work, through being proud of your work, through passing on knowledge and being able to learn, because apprenticeship and pride in our work are part of our value system. I mean, you're seen as like part of that respect system uh-huh. because you're demonstrating those same values and a respect for others. I've I've had the same experience. I said I've said that to others of all since I started in construction 40 years ago, is that they will test you. Yeah. And and they want you to be, you know, a hard worker, get the job done, figure it out. Um, and sometimes a bit of a Christians to the lions approach, just throw you in there and figure it out. Uh, but once you succeed, they don't care if you're who you are, you're it. You're, you're it for them. Yeah. You know? you're, and you're acknowledging that your values uh, are their values, that you see them 
as putting in hard work and being an expert at what they're doing. It's being being humbled by the fact that you don't know as much as the people around you. And that people love to ask them what drywall screws they're using and why. Oh, man, that could be an hour and a half conversation. People love to talk about what they're good at. That's so awesome. So I know that you've been uh, talking uh, some places about women in construction and in particular, psychological safety. And I, I know that's so important for everyone. And, you know, you and I know on large, complex uh, projects or even if cohesive teams, you have to have that psychological safety. So tell us your insights on, on that. Sure. Um, my my path to speaking more about psychological safety was kind of born through my management approach, which is very facilitatory, um, which I'm sure you resonate with, being able to tap into the information other people can provide so that you can get to a common understanding or, or a, a common goal to understand what would be success in the eyes of everybody. In doing work as a manager and in doing work with different industry organizations to help support women in construction or uh, underrepresented communities, I found that there was a concept that allowed me to address bias and inclusion. It allowed me to address the challenge of the stigma around mental health in our industry and allowed me to build better teams by creating an environment where people felt safe to bring information to the conversation and to let me support them with the resources I had, which in this case is can, can be completely technical. It can be, I have money as a, you know, as a manager, I have space on my job site, I have an ability to get your delivery here. Um, when people share what they really need, you can come to better solutions. And so psychological safety is the idea that there is a workplace environment or an environment where people feel that they can share their thoughts, concerns, or mistakes without fear of being judged or embarrassed for sharing that. People are more open to the conversation. So I, I agree 110%, <laughs> as you know. So tell us, what are some of the things that you try to do to create this environment? Absolutely. Uh, so on the job site, as the superintendent, I have a lot of control over what happens, um, which is great because I can set pretty high expectations about how people treat one another, my expectations for how trade partners come into a conversation with, you know, ideas. And I'm also lucky to work on some pretty awesome design build and integrated project delivery contract types, which allows me to say, this is the spirit of this job site. We are here to help everybody here be successful. And so getting to know you allows me to understand what it takes to be successful from your perspective. It's an acknowledgement that I don't have the best plan until I understand everybody's part or role in it. So that starts at orientation. When people come to the job site, what am I sharing is important about them being at work and how am I making a connection? I like to personally do my job site orientations or make sure that anybody who's delivering that very first introduction understands the goals of people participating here. It's making sure that when there's a conversation going on in a meeting around the table, that you're listening to who's not participating and tying together concepts saying, so you need your drywall here, there. Didn't you tell me to the mechanical team like that you need some floor space on that floor? Being able to tie people's goals together is really important because that's how you get things done without people butting heads 
you make the place uh, more enjoyable for people to work and you make people more successful in the process. So every technical task and responsibility I have can be an approached in a way where people feel that they have a role. That's awesome. So I know in the industry, the reason we're doing this series is that there's a half a billion jobs that are not filled. And in two years, there's another 20% of people retiring. So now we have 650,000 jobs and open. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I know you're probably seeing this. I'm seeing this on jobs all over. They just can't man them. And the unions don't have anybody and they're, you know, they're not trained. And so, and right now we have 1.5% are women. So it seems so obvious to me that women and other underserved populations, but women is half the population, you know, we're here. So what do you see as barriers that exist in the industry that we need to kind of overcome? And any ideas you have for overcoming those would be less a blessing as well. Um, Challenges. Visibility and awareness is number one. I didn't know anything about the industry. My parents didn't know anything about the industry. It wasn't on their radar. It wasn't a an option they considered valuable. Um, now they do. Uh, they, you know, they've uh, seen my career grow and have a completely different understanding about what it means to be in the skilled trades and to, to be part of the different um, phases of construction. So visibility, first and foremost, there are a hundred different roles that you can play within the industry. They can be from any background, schooling, no schooling, trade school, and understanding of construction from your family is not essential. I didn't have it. You learn as you go, which can be really hard for somebody who studied construction management in school to understand that day one, you need to presume you know nothing because you learn it over the course of your career. I'm 16 years into my career, and I am still learning every day. This is my very first PT, post-tension concrete building and steel okay. up to this point. So this is, you know, I'm on a 45 foot drop hillside. I'm, you know, there's a constant learning curve um, and you need to be comfortable with continuing to learn. But visibility and an understanding about the opportunities that exist, role models is essential. Um, so getting that information out young, like I like to present to my, my kids' kindergarten classes when they were in kindergarten and now they're uh, nine and seven. And so I try to send some information to their teachers to get them to understand those roles. The other challenge, I guess, is our historic challenges, the stereotypes that have existed, the lack of role models, a lack of understanding about how to get into uh, different parts of the industry. And so I think that, especially since COVID, there has been an acceleration in the conversation around concepts relating to psychological safety, how to create an environment that's more inclusive, how to create an environment um, that supports the whole person. These are things that historically have not been supported in our industry. There was like, what what are the topics of conversation from outside the fence versus inside the fence, keeping personal and professional completely separate. COVID allowed us to blur those, they forced us to blur those lines. We kept building, A lot of people kept building and we had to learn to support people in new ways, which meant allowing conversation and supporting people in ways that supported their families, supported their mental health, started to recognize the impact of mental health on our industry and the statistics that are representing that. Um, So overcoming our historic cultural biases and challenges 
I think it's coming, it has been coming in a wave to support a more whole person, which will do a lot to change the perception of the industry. Yeah. So what can we do as an industry? I, I love the idea of the role models because I think that's so critical that people have to see that. And I don't just mean women, everybody in the industry needs to see, oh, Women are already doing this. It reminds me of my mother was like Rosie the Riveter. So, you know, back in the day of World War II, but as soon as the men came home, uh, the women were expected to leave and go home. And of course they had kids, which is why we have baby boomers. But um, <laughs> no, we need we need to have role models. We need to have a new paradigm almost around who works in the industry. And I think that's going to take uh, everyone out there. I love the idea of visibility too, because I don't think, in my experience, is that the groups, the associations that are women in construction and stuff, they they do great work, but they're not mainstreamed yeah. enough. And so we need to, we need to help with that. And yes, we definitely have a historical. We have a historical, and we have a perceived bias because my experience is that it's not really there once you prove your you can do the job but most people would never believe that would be the case yeah so that's very 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 insightful so if if you could change anything and you had a magic wand what would be the one thing that you would change in the industry yeah, in the industry. Oh gosh, I wish owners had more money. <laughs> I think that there's such a challenge with whether it's the supply chain issues now that have really exacerbated the situation or, you know, challenges with city, state, national funding. Um we have been pushing harder and harder to do more and more as contractors, as construction managers, as ownership groups with less as the industry has changed. There's an intense demand for how technology is used that is making us smarter and faster, but um, doesn't allow us all the flexibility to serve our people. That comes along with tight budgets. And that's, I think we're gonna see that over the next few years. My current project as an example with inflation, and just with by the time the budgets had been approved, I mean, they are deep in fundraising with alumni um, to help build the entire project, you know, and, and being able to not have to make every decision based on that budget value um, to allow a little bit more creativity, to allow the flexibility to say, like, what is the best value um, can help us keep that change happening on a personnel and on a personal support level. I, I agree. I see that. I, of course, every project right now has yeah. problems with inflation and uh, lack of getting things in a timely manner. And then, of course, then they're more expensive and it's later. So contingency, that's what we keep telling owners. Mm -hmm. you, you've got to have more contingency than what you would normally have. Yeah. And you almost need a contingency for the changes that you don't know are going to happen. And then there's the ones that you do know will happen. You don't know where it'll happen, but you know there's a, a predictable amount. 
Because um, sure. that's the thing. The owners I see that are really successful are learning to look at things with more contingencies applied, particularly in design build, because you can do that with each package and you can do it overall. And then you can have the builder's contingency. So you have the flexibility to move the money where you need it to. Yeah. Um, but then on low bid, we we see that all the time. You have or not to exceed amount, and then and then all this twenty percent changes. They don't have twenty percent. Yep. yep. So what are you going to do? Cut off half the building? <laughs> what are you going to? Yeah. Do? Yeah. So it's the sooner you know, the better, of course. But uh, it is a big challenge. It constrains more- our ability to like approach new topics, even for our people, right? To make change in the industry comes from regulation it comes from contract language and so of course it would take a magic wand to just magically have more money and not upset all the other systems but you know i think it gives that flexibility to start to focus on something new yeah i i agree i think we've been one of the couple of the owners we've been working with long term is trying to get them to even create a pool of money for and they do they deliver fifty billion dollars a year of work and they don't have any overarching pool of funds mm. where you know some are going to come in less some are going to come in more they you have no ability to have any flexibility so it's left with the team to just argue and oh, they, so they can't solve it because they it's a, they didn't really create the problem so yeah that would, I love that let's let's put that out there let's get a magic wand and make that happen. <laughs> So what parting advice do you have for contractors, designers, construction managers, and owners who may want to bring in more women into their workforce and into their leadership? I think identifying, supporting the women that are already there means spending some time to listen to what's needed because I'm sure each organization has different challenges with it. I think it's finding ways to share the work that you're already doing in the industry. Marketing the industry can just be sharing your experience in it and what it is you love about your job. I think that finding ways to support people to showcase what they're doing goes a long way to people feeling ownership and success in the roles that they have and means that if you're giving them opportunities, if you're paying for opportunities to allow them to get out and interact in the industry is promotion for your own company, your own organization, but also promotes really the experience of underrepresented communities or or women or just anybody in the industry in general. Um, We need people from skilled trades to engineering to, you know, being able to go out and run work and create schedules like I have the great opportunity to do. Um, And so if you love the industry, talk about it more. Get out there, support your people who can do that. Not everybody can. And I think that we'll start to see a change in the perception of the industry um, in how we support our people. And give me, give us a couple ideas of where you think people could go out and do this. Is it in the trade associations, uh, conferences? What, what, where do you see it? Always recommend that people do what they want to do. You can't force people to to kind of do things. I'm not a social person. Tell me I need to go to a happy hour and it won't be that successful for me because I'm just, it's not my thing. But I do not mind speaking to a thousand people at a conference. I'm comfortable being able to um, 
communicate at a large scale. I was trained very young in my household on how to do public speaking. Uh, and so that's something that I do. I know some people who really love to work with apprentices and making sure that skills get transferred. If you are passionate about something, there is an impact you can make with what you care about. You don't need to force anybody into like a certain shape hole. Um, find out what people like to do and leverage that by giving them the acknowledgement and the autonomy to be successful at it and be able to share their skill set in our industry. That's so awesome. That is inspiring and I know will be very helpful. So I so appreciate it. How can people get a hold of you if they're so inclined? Oh, sure. Um, well, uh, my name's at the bottom of the screen right there. <laughs> I'm at LinkedIn, um, but also uh, you're welcome to post my contact information. I'm happy to, I'm supporting a number of students here at uh, the University of Washington where I'm currently working. And I love to just be a point of contact for the industry. If you want to talk about experiences, ask questions, um, I'm, I'm really open to having a conversation. Great. I'll put that into the show notes so anybody can just click on it and find that for you. I'll also put your LinkedIn in there so they'll have that as well. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the series. And uh, hopefully you'll come back when we talk about some more things as we see progress happen. Yes. And I'll think about five-year goal. That sounds good. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Yes. Great to see you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, Construction Nation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you. Please just go to sudico.com slash profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.